What is the name for episode two? If episode one was the financial menace spelled with a PH. Oh, this is Attack of the 401. Attack of nay. the 401. Nay. I find it interesting how if this is, you know, if we, if episode four was financial context, right? Yep. And then we episode five and six discussed the anxiety ride. And then we're like, okay, let's go back. Prequel. Prequel. First episode was about you and me establishing who we are, letting people know why they love us why they should love us and how adorable we are the this next one which is technically now like the original one about finance is about retirement hey everyone and welcome to what's up with money an ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion i'm ryan a writer and millennial who's asking the questions i'm ronald philosopher and financial advisor who's given the answers. From outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies, we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful, lessen financial anxiety, and better understand money. Thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, what's What's up up with with money? Back to the topic again. All right, so retirement. Retirement. Now, as our first offic- official, like, hard, what's the word, practical money yep. thing we're talking about, why is retirement the first? So a lot of the industry is geared towards retirement. When I started, I thought that's what I was here to do. So much money is tied up in retirement accounts. That's such a focus in people's trajectory is that it's all the commercials are all about retirement. Mm -hmm. It's all future focused about how do you build that nest egg? And so that's what most of investment world, financial world is all focused future. But then it's also about how do you build that big nest egg? It's and a, I think it's like a forty trillion now that's in retirement accounts. So it's this massive, insane. massive movement, and it's what occupies, I would say, a majority of the investment space I was as far as planning this, goes. I was thinking about this today, where even as a as a kid, you especially if you have if you have if you have older parents or friends who have older parents or younger grandparents. Anyone who is of that age that is nearing retirement and all you hear them talk about is how they can't wait for retirement. And so even as a youngin, before you even enter the workforce, before college, high school, junior high, while you're in fourth grade, you're hearing about how these adults can't wait for retirement. And so it's almost ingrained in you that this is something you should be working toward is when you're done working. Well, and early on, I realized like there are three things that I really wanted to do when I was 65. It was <laughs> bike through a park, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. golf. Yep. And I want those like bathtubs outside in a field. Who doesn't? I mean, doesn't that sound majestic? With my, with my lovely wife, we'll just sit there holding hands holding as hands. the sunset goes down. Yes, in some random weird bathtub in the yeah. in the field, a clawed bathtub. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you play golf? <laughs> you don't uh, golf. I don't golf either. Well, I wanted to know I, because I I'm, like to play sports. No, I wow. I make fun, I make fun of golf with all of my golf friends. I actually don't mind golf. I don't mind the cigars and the drinking and the drinking. <laughs> golf just seems like an excuse to drink and get outdoors, which I don't mind. Yeah. But anyway, enough of golf retirement. It is what everyone is going for. It is the goal. It seems like of the American middle class. You want to retire. Yep. What is the issue with that? Why are we talking about it? Well, and we'll talk about, <laughs> Retirement in as we go, because it hits a lot of different places in the financial journey. Basically, the way I see it is after World War II, we got into this situation where people were able to, for the first time, to have like a leisure retirement. Mm. They were able to stop work, stop producing, because there was either enough resources, enough government support, 
cost of living was low enough where people could exit the workforce and enjoy a few of their remaining years before they passed on. Is that really because of social security? Is that what started that or are there other factors? Yeah. I mean, social security was a big one. It's, it's kind of like a multifaceted issue because you had social security that paid a decent amount. Cost of living was really low. Life expectancy was very low, so it didn't require a lot of money and time. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, people talk about pensions. I was going to ask, when did the pension yeah, start? Pensions have been around actually for quite a while in different forms. Military, clergy, these different pockets sort of started to have them. Government work, service work. Some people have this notion that everybody had a pension, but it was like less than half of people had had them. But still, it was like, hey, if you put in your time, you worked for a company for a long time, they would take care of you. Right. And and that taking care of wasn't, it didn't need to be thousands and thousands of dollars because the cost of living just didn't require that level of income coming in. Right. And like you said, the the you didn't live that long. Yeah. It, it wasn't like one of those things where you're like, you had to plan for 30 years of income. Right. And... And so when you're not, when you don't need to spend a lot and, you know, everything around you is improving so much because America improved so much from World War II until now, just, it's insane to think about sometimes. And then when you think about like, it didn't require a whole lot, you were able to finally sort of exit the workforce, enjoy your remaining days. And it was kind of like a golden age in many ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then when did that golden age start to wane? When did we, because you're correct, there is this image of, and we've talked, we've, you and I personally have joked about the, you know, retiring to Florida, mm-hmm. living in a retirement home, a retirement community, you know, just that life of supposed leisure. You don't have to worry about anything. You yeah. now have the money to survive. When did that start to wane? When did that start becoming almost more trouble than, I don't want to say more trouble than it's worth, but I'm just, you know, when it started becoming less ideal. Well, so those same factors that made it possible, the minute some of those started to fade or shift is where it started, it started to fade. So as cost of living rises, as life expectancy increases, as social security payments decrease, as pensions get replaced with other retirement accounts, like the 401a <laughs> or other, or other things, the, the burden, the burden in my, in my mind, the burden just has slowly been given towards individuals. And so we've slowly moved from a social burden on taking care of people in old age mm-hmm. to a private and an individual version mm-hmm. of that where you now are responsible for for that. And so there there's a varying ways that that has sort of happened over time. Mm-hmm. But I would say probably in the 70s is when we started to sort of see this we probably hit the peak and then probably started mm-hmm. on the downturn. Sure. As we started moving away from more collective social corporate ways of taking care of that to mm-hmm. individual and then just with the way the economy is has rapidly expanded and and grown it's just placed more and more burden on the individual let me ask you this when so talking about me as a as a child hearing about people wanting to retire yep my impression was that there was one account there was the retirement account yep and this is what you put your money into this was the pension or the social security, or what have you, where then when you retire, this is the money that you then use to live. And it seemed to me as a youngin that you lived pretty well, that your lifestyle did not change and you just kept enjoying life. In fact, you even, you enjoyed it better because you no longer had to work. Yeah. And that, and that really was the case for like, I think of like our grandparents, Mm -hmm. like probably, you know, might be 10 or 15 years difference in age or whatever. But people that started to retire in the 80s were retiring in just a different a different way. Usually their expenses were low because normally they had home ownership. Mm-hmm. The cost of living just generally in the U.S. was low. Things hadn't inflated. They, they were past sort of needing to 
pay for college or these other things that sort of sure. began to sort of create financial stress. They were stress. empty nesters. They were empty nesters. They, you know, they own their homes outright. They're, you know, things like travel and entertainment were sort of peaking in, in different ways where right. like, you know, the globalization and all that stuff like has made that sort of picture of the future way more expensive and way more to do. <laughs> sure. And so like my grandfather's dream was to, you know, essentially just be at home, fish, maybe travel the country and just see the U S sounds lovely. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately he wasn't able to do that because of illness, but mm. it was, that was sort of it. And he had worked in a factory for 40 years. He got a ring. I mean, that was the days of like, you work at a company. <laughs> you got the for, watch. Yeah. yeah. My, my dad, my dad wears the ring. It was, and he has a diamond for every decade. No and there's way. four of them. Like it's just a different time. Yeah. And so the way those, that generation sort of exited the workforce and they, they, they sort of probably in my mind exited a, a difficult time. Like factory work is different. Yes. <laughs> you know, like a machinist yeah. making forklifts is very different than sort of the nature of general work today. Mm -hmm. And so then it was like, okay, we, we labored very hard we got the country out of the Great Depression. We got the country out of being at war in a real sense, like after World War II. We right. got through a lot of things and built the American dream. Then come the people that started working in like the 1980s. Then you start to see their reality starting to shift mm. a bit. Then you get to people like us that started working in the late 90s, late you know late 2010 right. and the world is just different mm -hmm. so that's where i think things started to taper off okay well let's get into let's get into a little bit about what the retirement op the, the big retirement options are for nowadays what we have and how that started we talked about how there was social security but that's not that's not really going to be a thing it seems then there were pensions but that also has waned. And even when pensions were high, not a lot of people had them. And so the options that now seem to be very popular and seem to be when I learned about them, it felt like it was always there, but I've now learned that they weren't is the 401k. Yep. The IRA. Yep. And the Roth IRA. Yeah. So retirement took a turn in the mid seventies because mm -hmm. in the mid seventies is when you have sort of some, and, and it, it's always correlated to tax code and it's always re correlated to like legislation around how do we help employees? So there's things like ERISA. No one knows what that is, but if you Google it, you'll, you'll, you'll learn. You have these different things that pop up that then create these. Is ERISA the, the woman who created it or <laughs> it's a lovely government acronym. Okay. So I don't even remember what it stands for, but you have these different things that sort of are designed to sort of help employees. And then you also have this shift. And I think this is important for people to understand a pension for a company sits on the wrong side of a balance sheet. It's a negative. And it's so a liability for it's a company. liability because you, the company are expected to then pay mm -hmm. those people for as long as they live a certain amount of money. So when things like the stock market start to pick up company valuations, profitability, all of that starts to really pick up in the late seventies, early eighties. Then you start seeing this thing of like, Oh, a 401k, which was tax code. Right is way more favorable because it shifts from being a liability to being a tax write-off for a company. So that immediately takes the burden off of the liability side, shifts it to the positive side of the balance sheet, mm. which then elevates essentially a company's standpoint. And it's way cheaper to pay if to pay a 5% match than to continually pay people for the rest of their lives. Sure. And yet, some people are like, well, what, you know, that's a bad thing. And I'm like, well, 
It's also part of a shifting dynamic in that the nature of work also really started to shift in that, you know, people didn't work the same way. And so they really needed a different model, but I don't know if this one was necessarily the The best. best. When you say they didn't work the same way, does that mean you didn't have employees who stayed at the company for four decades? You know, that level of corporate allegiance, you know, isn't, you know, now, especially nowadays where it's the, you know, the gig economy, you guys, you know, were people work, you know, less than a year, one job, the move to another, because nowadays it seems the only way to make, to get a decent raise is to go to a new company because then you can negotiate, you know, a 20% raise as opposed to the three to 5% yeah. Yeah. that you might get if you actually stay with a company. Yeah. I mean, all of it is just part of like just the shifting dynamics of the way our entire economy has, has shifted over time mm-hmm. and in different decades and with different things that have sort of happened. You know, I think that's when people started looking at work differently. And then you start seeing, then you need a different type of, of account. You need a different type of, mm-hmm retirement savings vehicle. And part of some of that stuff in the mid seventies was the realization that like, okay, not everyone's got a pension. Having Mm -hmm. money for retirement is really important. And the more we put that on the individual, the more we need to figure out ways for individuals to put money aside for that. Because when, when people don't have that, it overly stresses our entire economy Poverty mm. in general just stresses the economy, mm-hmm. puts stress on the government, it puts stress on corporations, it puts stress on the taxpaying citizens, it puts stress on local municipalities. It's just, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so you had to figure out something different given the whole shifting nature of sure. of everything. So, Well, the, you bring up a good point is that in the 70s, the burden of retirement shifted away from the government toward the individual it started to become your responsibility to save, invest, and figure out how you were going to pay for your retirement, how you were going to make that next paycheck after you retire. Yep. Now, if I'm looking looking at my notes, because I have notes, because I'm notes professional. ERISA, which is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. <laughs> That's right. You have that in your notes? I have that in my notes. Was what created the IRA in 1974. Yep. Now, you told me something the other day that really blew my mind. Because I used to think that IRA stood for the Individual Retirement Account. Account. Yeah. Where that is not actually what the A stands for. Yeah. It's easier for everyone to understand it that way. But that's not technically... Because... The thing that's always challenging is everyone's got to understand that their money is, by IRS standards, given a certain qualification. Mm-hmm. So when you put money into an IRA, you are essentially making an individual retirement what? Agreement. Agreement. So you can Google it. If you don't, Google will probably tell you it's account. But if you go to the IRS.gov, which is the the law of the land. Yeah. They'll tell you it's an agreement. And so that's essentially you're agreeing that this money is specifically designated a certain way. And then that money can go into a variety of different places and you Mm -hmm. can put a variety of different things into it. We won't get into all that, but it's essentially an agreement with the IRS that you are doing something in relation to the future with this money. Now this is all about, because the IRA was created for tax deferral. Which I, which is important to talk about, and then you know, in a in a in a moment, we'll get into the Roth, which is different. But tax deferral was really important in the 1970s. Oh, it was magic in yeah. the 1970s. So, one of the things that people don't understand is like everyone always it doesn't matter what time period or what year you're in. We all feel like we're paying too much in taxes, or the mm-hmm. taxes are high. But historically, when you look back and you look at like the average tax rate. For America over like, I don't know what, 100 years is like 50%. Like, that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> Like, that's twice as that's much as like what most of us are paying now. And then if you look back in those 
those time periods of like the 1970s and early 80s, some of the highest effective tax rates were 90%. Which is insane. So essentially you're looking at it going like, okay, if I was a betting man at 90% tax, is it going up? <laughs> or am I willing to take tax deferral on right. the chance that it's going to go down? So when the IRA was created in 74 and you were able to put that money in, you were betting that, you know, when you were about when you were going to retire years later, that tax level was going to go down. Well, yeah, if you think about like, shoot, if you were going to pay ninety percent tax on ten thousand dollars, sure. And I was like, hey, what if you waited twenty years, but then it was twenty percent? Well, then I'd wait twenty years. Yeah, because seventy yeah. percent in taxes is a huge savings. Not only that, but then you're allowed to let that money grow. Mm-hmm which is another part of like the whole system was able to, you know, flood the stock market with more money because this money had to go somewhere and the market was the best place for it. So then you have these different dynamics and things all kind of playing together Mm -hmm. then said, Hey, you're at 90% now put a bunch of money here, Mm -hmm. take it out in a, in a decade or two when it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a fraction of the cost and you'll save a lot of money. The economy will grow. It all works out better. So in 74, the IRA was a very smart move. Yeah. It was a great bet yep. for you to put your money in, grow grow the economy, grow in the market. And when you retire, you were more likely than not going to be... Unless you were retiring as a millionaire, <laughs> like drawing a million a year. Like, yeah. 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 So let's, let's flash forward, fast forward. Four years, 78, the 401k is, I wouldn't say created. It was more discovered because discovered. it was already yeah. a tax code. And then some geniuses realized that they could use this tax code to, as a retirement. Yeah. They, yeah. they basically just realized like in reading the tax code, man, I, I sh- this should be in our, our notes for the show, but it was essentially one guy found yes. the tax code yeah. and then was like, Hey, Companies can use this line of tax code to, one, help their employees save for retirement, two, contribute to their retirement in a way that is a tax write-off for the business, like win, 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 win. Right. And well, quote-unquote, quote unquote, win, 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 win. Well, and at that yeah. time, like, it was just, it all Because it was another tax deferral, right? In the yeah. 70s, yeah. taxes were still high, yep. and it was another tax deferral. Yep, and so it was like green lights all the way. And, and then it just, right. and then there's some stuff about like the amount of marketing that went into sort of putting amount of money that went into marketing this as an option that was an alternative for a pension. Because one of the things that happens is once people are used to a certain way of things, you can't just take it away without replacing it. Right. Like we get really mad. Yes. It's why I think social security probably will never go away. Because people will be upset. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so when you have this thing, it's like, Hey, Hey everyone. Hey nation, here's this great thing. And instead of it being, you know, limited to only the companies that pay pensions, it made accessibility to retirement much Mm -hmm. more available. And that's still a growing thing, even to this day, like the accessibility to retirement accounts and stuff through employer sponsored plans is still a growing, a growing thing and becoming more and more part of our, our daily life. Well, the 401 401k, was not only an, a, a tax write-off and another way to put money, tax-deferred money, into retirement, but there was also the magic of the match. The yeah. company, depending on where you work, would match up to 100% of what you put into your 401k. Yeah, and companies were able to you know, sort of set what they wanted that to be, and they still can, some companies don't match. Some offer two, three, five. I've seen ones that offer up to $15,000 of match. So they're, they vary. Mm-hmm. And so then you could potentially, you know, you could increase the amount of money that you put into retirement through the 401k. So yep. not only is it tax deferred, but you are making more money just by putting money into it. Yeah. And every dollar that's matched is a 
hundred percent return exactly. on your money, which is great. Right. It's fantastic. So right now we're in the seventies IRA 401k is looking real smart. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 97. We then get the Roth IRA. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. So all of these are tied again to the time, the conditions, the market conditions, what's happening. So then there's this idea that like, Hey, taxes have gotten a lot lower. So is there a way for us to set money aside for retirement after tax so that it won't get taxed again? Because the idea is everyone always wants to get into the most favorable tax situation possible. So if taxes are lower, I don't want to put money away and then get taxed more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to put my, I want to pay as little taxes as possible. So if I pay taxes now, can I allow this money to grow and never get taxed again. Right. So there you have the Roth. And I will say that I, when I saw that the Roth was in 97, when I was six years old, I was surprised because again, I thought the Roth was something that's been here for a very long time. I didn't realize how recent this device is, which really kind of goes to show how much I feel an experiment all these things are. With our retirement, we're kind of just like figuring it out as we go. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. And then it's also like every law gets made at a time that is essentially when it's most advantageous for that law. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's like tax deferral makes sense when taxes are high. Oh, taxes are low. Well, we need another way. Yeah. And so then that's where these things come. But then the government always places limitations on the amount of that because the government still needs its money to function and do, you know, everyone's got different views on the government, but government needs money to do what it's supposed to do for us. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things where people pass legislation. Oftentimes they benefit people with lots of money. Mm, You really do. And, you know, it's designed to sort of help stimulate the economy, keep money moving, keep money in people's pockets, hopefully. And then, yeah. but the government also puts restrictions so that you can't just tax free everything. So, right. so yeah, so it all kind of works yeah. all together in this weird way. We make a good point because the IRA, the 401k, the Roth, even though they're different forms of putting money away. They all do the same, a very similar thing, which is contribute, contribute to the economic growth of the, of the country of the U S they all put money back into the market. And so you can see why the government would incentivize these three huge. I mean, there are other ways you can put money away, but these are like the three big ones that we all know of, we all learn yeah. of, that we are all almost instructed to use to help us save for retirement. Now, I've heard you say that the 401k is one of the worst things to happen financially <laughs> for individuals. And we just talked about why the 401k was really smart when it was made. Why is it the worst thing to ever happen? This is a, a sticky question. <laughs> so it's not that the 401k is bad. I want that to be clear. The 401k serves a particular purpose. What most people have thought the 401k was, was a, an account that essentially replaces their income when they retire. And that's how most people think of it. Like I've talked to many people that are like, hey, we thought about retirement income. Oh, I got a 401k. I'm good. Well, this is like what I said earlier, is that the idea was that you had one retirement account. Yeah, and yeah. and but what I asked is, okay, if this is if this account is supposed to provide retirement income, how does it do it? And the fact of the matter is you need a much bigger bag of money when you hit retirement than I think a 401k can provide on its own. Mm. And so it does a little bit of the job. It does a little bit of the lifting and it does get you some advantages. You know, 
in certain cases, tax deferral can be good. The match can be good. These different things and incentivizing people to save towards retirement so that we don't stress the entire American economy. But in looking at it on its own, does it create a suitable income replacement for your post-working years? Mm-hmm. I have to say no. And almost across the board, no. Let us take a quick break from what we've been talking about to talk about our new What's Up With Money book of the month. Yes. It's one of my favorites. It's one that I've had. It's a short one, so I make the mistake of telling people, hey, you can read it in a night, but it like it's a bit dense. It's our first book that's like topical or like about a very specific financial thing. And it's called The Tax Bomb in Your Retirement. And it is all about how what people are doing as far as saving for the future affects their tax situation in the future. Mm. And the first time I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, everyone needs to know about this. We're doing, as the book says, essentially creating a tax bomb which might be alarmist, but it is it is a reality that people need to understand sort of what future tax situation they are creating for retirement. And it ties in well with our conversation that we're having here about retirement and the different types of accounts, the different ways to do it. And I think it opens up a little bit to some of the other implications that the way we save for the future can affect other things, and especially Social Security. Mm. Yeah, I, you you gave me the book recently. And You're is, welcome. Yes, thank you. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. It is. It looks like a pamphlet. It's it very. Is. It's yeah. very short. I have not cracked it open yet. You know, you say it stands. I'll take your word for that. But it l- seems like a something you can get through in a few days. Yeah, it's it's just a shorty, but it 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 has a lot of different math things. And some different concepts that I don't think people quite think about. And I don't think most people know that, like, if you have a lot of taxable income coming from taxable accounts like a 401k, it can reduce the amount of Social Security you receive. Can it really? Yeah. So most people don't know this little nugget. Go to the IRS.gov, my favorite website. (laughs) I hate going there because I'm afraid they'll audit me from all my traffic, but (laughs) it is true that like up to 85% of your social security payment could be subject to income tax. Wow. So that's like a reality that like most people don't know. And most people don't believe me. And they go to the irs.gov and they read what it says. That is, that is wild (laughs) that the government is giving you this money to retire on and then takes it back as income tax. Cause they're like, technically it's income. It's a tax that you pay. And the government gets his. And then it comes back, but they tax you again. But there are strategies, and this is where I think being strategic with money, it really takes on a new life of understanding like, okay, if you do a few things, and the book is helpful and essentially talks about the value of like what Roth money can do for you Mm -hmm. or non-taxable money in retirement can do Mm. to sort of help allow you to maximize what you receive from social security. So we'll talk more about it as we go. Definitely. But there's a few nuggets in there that I was like, when I first read it about six years ago, I was like, whoa, everyone needs to know this, but it's, it's also not like, it's not a fun read. (laughs) <laughs> but, but it but, but it sounds it's, important it's very valuable and it will i believe hopefully be eye-opening in a good way and a scary way maybe to what the different sources of income and why you need different places to draw money from and different tax situations and all of that to have the most money in your pocket and he has charts and things that just show you sort of just the basics of math mm. so even if you don't like math you need to know a little math, so you do to handle money correctly. You do need to know, yeah, some basic math. So the tax bomb in your retirement account by Josh Scanlon. It is the What's Up with Money book of the month. We'll be talking about it in the coming weeks. Please do yourself a favor, pick up a copy. And yeah, it's only like seven or eight bucks. It's, there we go. It's great. Cheap read. Do yourself a favor and join us in the conversation about our newest book wreck. 
And that seven bucks could save you lots of money in the future. It's true. All right. On, on, on with the, the show. On. On, on, and on. You, it, I heard you, I, I want you to say this analogy because it, it, you, you, you discussed the 401k to me like it was a boat. Yes. <laughs> My boat analogy. <laughs> so it's as if we told everyone, hey, the 401k is a, a boat so that you can travel and float around in retirement. And most of us know what a boat is. And so we expect a boat to do a couple basic things. Mm -hmm. We expect it to not take on water. We expect it to float. We expect it to not sink. We expect it to keep us dry. Right. And it's as if on the beach, there's the 401k boat and we all go to jump into it. And then we realize, hey, this thing's taking on water. It doesn't get me from A to B. It doesn't get me across the across the lake. And then someone comes along and says, well, you know, it wasn't designed to go out on the lake completely. <laughs> it's like being in one of those, like, swan pedal boats, and you're out in the ocean, and you're like, this is not what this was designed for. Yeah, and it was, <laughs> like, it has some of the characteristics that are necessary. Like the swan boat. The swan boat's great. Yeah. If you're ever in Echo Park, go ride a swan boat. Yeah, it's fun. It, it is, but you don't take that to the Pacific. <laughs> you don't go to Santa Monica with that swan boat and go, like, all right, let's get out there. Because it's designed for a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the 401k for most people in their minds is designed to be a legitimate boat that yeah. will carry them. A seafaring through vessel. Yeah. Yes. And it just, you know, when you actually dig into it, most people don't have enough money. They can't save enough money. They can't get enough income out of it in the future for it to actually be considered a viable boat. So what is, what is it about the 401k? Why does it not work? Why is it not a good vehicle to even be... I mean, are you saying it's not a good vehicle to begin with? Is there something good about it? I mean, we can get into that, but first let's talk about why, why you feel like it doesn't, doesn't, it's not seafaring. A lot of that has to do with just the structure of it. You know, most people will get, let's call it a 5% match. That's pretty common. So you go to work, you put 5% of your income away, your business, you know, the business you work for contributes 5%. Mm -hmm. So that amount of money, like even if you made a hundred grand, that might be 10,000 a year, which is not bad. That, that's, that's great. But if you think about then how money moves and works between now and when you retire, mm -hmm. that's not enough saved. And then given what it's invested in, the market conditions and ups and downs and all of that, the probability of it having the necessary amount of money that can supply you with a normal level of income mm -hmm. to supplement the little that you're going to get from social security. It just doesn't, it doesn't do the job a hundred percent. It does the job partially. Right. And I think that's where it's like, it's not bad, but it's not the solution in and of itself. Sure. So people are looking at the 401k as if this is it, but what you're saying is that it's part of it, but you need other things like, to help fulfill your retirement. Have you ever gone like into the ocean with like only the front half of a boat. <laughs> I can't say that I have. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work, but that's, that's essentially the analogy that, but I think what most of us have grown up thinking is that the 401k or its counterparts, IRA, Roth IRA, those right. things are the boat. Right. And I, I just think that's something that just is not, it's not, it's not true. It's not possible. Mm. In most cases, you know, one thing I think that can really highlight that, and it's, it's something that you would talk to me about again, is who actually benefits from the 401k. So what it was funny, I was talking to my financial advising partner that I work with outside of this podcast about kind of this idea, like, I don't ever want to destabilize in like a way that's not effective, mm -hmm. but 
we need a little bit of disequilibrium to make moves in the finance world. Like you need your awakening moment. We've talked about that at different times. Like, so when I look at this thing, the first things I realized was like, Oh, the person that has the 401k is the last person to benefit from the account because the first person to benefit from the account generally is the business. Mm. because any contributions they make is a tax write-off, which reduces their tax liability, which increases their profitability, and it just works better for the business. The second thing is, I, like I mentioned earlier, it's like it's like something like $40 trillion managed by financial institutions. Yeah. So they charge a fee and a percentage to manage that money, and they should. It's not, it's not pro bono work. It's... It, requires some level of administration and skill and lots of things that go into these accounts. They're not just easy, but they benefit. So if you take a half a percent of 40 trillion, that's a lot of money. Yes. So it's just, it's insane. So, and that's every year. And it doesn't matter whether the 401k does well or does poorly, they get their percent. Sure. So, and then you look further and go, I have a colleague that says, why does the government incentivize you to do something? I'm guessing they benefit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're incentivized to save in this way, the government, so most of the government's sort of debts or thinking is to defer its own payment of those debts to the future. Mm. But if you are able to put away money, grow that money, and then part of that growth goes to the government, that's good for the government. Because they're kind of, they benefit. They benefit from they that. They benefit because, yeah. like I tell people, like, and this isn't a hard rule, but, like, think about 25% of the growth you get from your 401k is the government's. Sure. It's just, you know, and that varies, but, like, that's a good rule of thumb to think about. Like, you put in 1,000, it grows to 2, 25% of that's the government's. So the government's also incentivized for you to be making more money to be utilized in the future as well. Then... Who's the last person in that equation? It's generally the person that has the 401k. Right, it's you. Yeah. So the whole the whole thing, it's not bad. Like, I, I really want to stress that it's not bad. But you got to understand, like, there's just a lot of things at play right. for this particular thing, which then kind of makes you go 401a. 401a. But, right. So you have, again, just, just to go back over that really quick, when it comes to 401ks, the first people that benefit are the businesses because they can write that off. Exactly. Then it's the stock market because the market's growing. That's where the money's being invested in. And as the well financial as institutions that are managing all that yes, money, money managing managers. your account, managing the investment. And it's the government because it's, it's, it's all deferred. They, you know, they pay it out later. And then it's you. Yep. And so all these people are benefiting before you even come into the picture. And you're the only one, unless there's a match, that's putting money into it. And so the then follow-up question is, when does it work for you? When does it make sense? Why even invest in a 401k? Yeah, I think the first one is match. If you get a match, your number one thing you should do, and I think I don't know of a single person in the entire financial profession that would disagree with me, get that match. Mm. Like, hands down, get that match. Because it, it's... It's the, free money. It's free money, essentially. And it's the only way to double your money. Right. And that's always a good thing. Beyond that, then you have to really look at a few really important considerations because, you know, 401ks are managed by the employer. It's the employer's plan. It's not your plan. Hmm. So you got to go, okay, if I'm going to put more money in this, do I have the investment options? Do I have the, is the fee structure? Do I want my employer to have more sort of control over my money? There's all these different things that you have to start to consider before you go above and beyond the match. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are some people that have enormous matches. And then there's some people that have none. And so then you have to go, okay, how much do I want them to control versus how much do I want to try and do on my own? Mm -hmm. And that's where like a professional, and we'll always recommend having a professional of some sort in the conversation to kind of let you know, hey, 
here's the advantages and disadvantages to utilizing your current jobs 401k. Sure. And there are plenty. Some 401ks offer Roth options. And so for some people, they can essentially put away a much larger Roth contribution mm. than they could through a Roth IRA on their own. I did not know that. So that's that could be like really significant when right. you think about the limits for a 401k are much higher than a Roth IRA, but, and you can still get a match. So it's sometimes that can be really incentivizing mm-hmm. to, to them pursue it. But in general, you have to really be careful with how much you decide to put above and beyond a match. Yeah. Be, I feel like nowadays this, this realization of that IRAs, 401ks and Roths were great for then, but maybe not be so the Roth is still what people, I mean, I've, I've, I've hear financial gurus still really recommend the Roth specifically because right now those taxes are lower and therefore, and, and since it's not tax deferred, you're going to get a hundred percent of that money that comes out of it. But a lot of people right now are looking for more strategic planning, more strategic efficiency when it comes to their retirement. What do you recommend for those people? Yeah, I think you have to look at what does the money look at look like when you retire. And so how much is taxable? How much is not taxable? People are also looking at like, okay, well, how much can I access before I'm 59 and a half? Because that's the rule with retirement accounts. Essentially, mm-hmm. you can't touch, in a Roth, you can't touch the growth until you're 59 and a half. In, in a traditional or like a 401k or a regular IRA, you can't touch any of it until you're 59 and a half. So people are asking different questions. They're asking about, you know, how much can I touch before? How much is taxable? They're also looking at the growth of it. How much is guaranteed versus how much is in the market or mm-hmm. variable or, you know, looking at probabilities. And those things are starting to cause people to sort of look at it a little different and start to think about these other things and sort of expose some of like the reality of like, okay, what does an entirely tax deferred account mean for me when I retire and I start to pull the money out? Mm-hmm. So, and that's where I think a professional understands that game very, very well. And they can usually help people understand, okay, you've got a large tax liability built up. So what does that mean for how much you can withdraw? What does that do to your taxes? What does that do to your social security? What does that do to other things? And sort of help you blend and balance those things so that you end up in the most advantageous spot in the future. That was super helpful, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry. I was just thinking about my next question. I was looking over my notes. You you talk about you talk about the types, you know, you, you would just talk about types of money that are important. Market versus non-market, taxable versus non-taxable, whether you can touch it before you're 59 and a half or not, or whether there's a guarantee of return or a probability of return. And it feels like nowadays, because with, with the 401k, with the IRA, with the Roth, when people put money into that, like you said, that's all they put their money into. And it was kind of like, this is, gonna, this is going to secure my retirement. Yep. But now, that's not the case. You need multiple streams of income coming in to help with your retirement. It's not just going to be one. And so it's kind of about figuring out what types of money you can invest into, can put your, to create money. I guess, I don't know if this is the correct way of talking about it, but like the different types of money you can create for yourself so that you do have a comfortable retirement so that you're not living at the poverty level when you retire. Yeah. And a lot of people are starting to wake up to this reality and I and I thank the internet and I thank TikTok and Instagram and in some weird ways the pandemic because it opened up people's eyes to a lot of financial stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that 
and there's some, I think we'll put these in the show notes. There's a couple like documentaries or like key things to like, I would recommend everyone kind of watch just to like, just like learn. You want to talk about them? I'd love to know right now. Well, like Netflix, Netflix has a few, like one is just on retirement that talks about this very subject of like, most people don't feel like they've got enough. And then, is it is it their explained series? Yeah. Yes. Money yeah. Explained. The money explained. I've yeah. watched that. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And and it's it's one of those things where you got to realize like it takes an enormously more substantial bag of money to generate income in retirement than most of us even think. Well, we've talked about how with inflation, the 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 value of the dollars today is going to be cut in half in twenty years. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you save for retirement, it would be smart to put that in consideration that if you're starting to save for retirement, I'm 32. If I'm starting to save for retirement, let's say I I retire at 65. That is another 30 years. That's 20 years plus. So that Mm. means that my, that the dollar is going to be 75% less valuable roughly yeah than it is now yep that is if i retire at 65 if i retire earlier it's going to be a little more if i retire later it's going to be a little less but that means when i think about saving for retirement i almost have to double the amount of money that i'm putting in yeah and even like in today's considerations like the 401k allows you a pretty high ceiling for the amount of money you can dump in there mm-hmm. you know just Rough, I always work with rough numbers because I hate specifics in some ways, but like 20K, you can put 20K in there. That's great. But it is, but like, does even that amount get you to the end goal? And then are you someone that can put that amount of money? That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. And for most, you know, the average wage in America is still less than 60. Yeah. So you're like, okay, can you put a third of your money away for this specific purpose of trying to provide yourself retirement? Talk about living below your means. Like you won't even be able to enjoy life if, if you have to put away that much money, you know, and you could say, well, you know, there's the saying, you know, live below, live like no one else so you can live like no one else where it's like, are you even enjoying life? Are you even having a good time? Yeah. And that, and it's just, it, it just sort of is the nature of it. And that's where I think people have to understand how does this specific tool fit into their toolbox? Mm -hmm. And I always say like, you're building a financial house and you can't do it all with a hammer. And if a mm-hmm. hammer is all that you got, you're going to end up with a weirdo house <laughs> because because we love doing lots of different analogies. So we yes, went we from do. boats to houses. Yes, we did. So, but it, it's that kind of idea of like, I, w- I really want people to understand and wake up to sort of an, and understand the 401k that they specifically have. There are people that will help them understand it. No, understand the investment options, help them plan for it, understand how contributing to it affects their their situation, what that can mean for the future, all those different things where someone else can have the brain power to supply everyone to sort of know exactly like, okay, this specific plan does X, Y, and Z for you for mm-hmm. the future. That does this amount of lifting mm-hmm. for you. It, it, I don't think that there's a 401k plan on the planet today that will do all of the heavy lifting for retirement. And that's partially why we say 401a, <laughs> but it's also like, it's not, I don't ever want to say like they're all bad, but I also don't want everyone to go all in on it. No, it's, it's, it's again, like you said, it's a tool. If used correctly, it can really help you build something beautiful. And in this case, we're talking about retirement. Mm-hmm. So, 401ks, IRAs, Roths, they can be used really advantageously to help you retire the way you hope you hope to retire. But if you're putting all your eggs in the one basket, or if you're just, you know, we talked in last episode, we talked about mindfulness with money. Yep. And I feel like this is the perfect example of how to be mindful with your money because 
you know, we've also talked about, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, but how it's so hard to relate to your future self. They seem like a future, they're a different person. Because if you, and it makes sense because if you think back, like I said, I'm 32, I'm thinking 30 years ahead. If I think 15 years back, that's a different kid. That yeah. that Ryan is different than the Ryan that sits with you now and, and, and is having this conversation, which goes to show in 15 years, that's going to be a different Ryan that is dealing with different problems, that has a different level of wisdom, different level of knowledge. And I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, All I know is me and who I used to be. So to kind of help your future self out, even though you don't, you, it's hard to relate to that person. If you're mindful now, if you think about who you are now, and at least just like if my current self is 65 and hoping to live a good life, what do I wish I had? Then you can start thinking about not just that, but like kids, your significant other, different steps you can take, different tools you can use, different agreements or accounts. <laughs> You could utilize both are, both are fine to both help are fine to help your retirement. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you just gave us our penny for your thoughts. Is that? Oh my gosh, there was so much more to talk about. Are we already ending the? Are we already ending it? Well, I mean, money is an ongoing conversation that we'll have forever. So it is. It yeah. is. I just really want to touch on really quick before we wrap it up. I think this is an important conversation okay. because I do not have an IRA. I think when and I told you, you don't, that was part of our shtick. You don't have a four, you're a millennial without a 401k. Without a four, I don't have a 401k. And I was I like, don't have a Roth. Hey, that's okay. Why is that okay though? Those, those listening that are like, well, crap, I don't have anything. And you just talked about how the value of the dollar is going to depreciate. <laughs> and like, I've all, I'm already screwing up. Why is it okay that you haven't started on any of that? Well, it's the idea that that's not the only tool for retirement. And there are many other things that you've got going on, possibly, that will create a much better retirement possibility for you than if you had a 401k. So, again, it's context and it's the things you're doing. I think in one of the chats we talked about, you know, like, what if you hit it big as a writer? and you have a syndicated TV show, well, you don't really need to worry then about certain things because you have income streams coming in. And so then that takes certain things off the table for like thinking about, okay, how do we solve for your retirement income? Well, if you've got 2000 coming in, okay, cool. That's one piece of the retirement income we can take off the table. Mm -hmm. But I think for most of us, we probably were just, indoctrinated into believing that the 401k was it. Yeah. And so helping people understand that there are lots of different ways to attack what your future income streams will be. And it doesn't need to be just this one thing. And for some people, it doesn't even include that. So, you know, I think that's where we are in a spot. It's beautiful in that we are opening up our minds to this vast universe of finance yes. that exists, but That's also we need people that are very smart and educated in it, like the two of us, <laughs> to help sift through all of the different yeah. wild stuff. Do so. you recommend for those who have not even started saving for retirement and have barely even thought about it, how, I guess, do you recommend approaching that subject? schedule a meeting with me because <laughs> it, it it again it's it's so this is where i like my philosophy is that like i don't like the in the box strategy that everyone's goal is retirement and that everyone's retirement should look the same way function the same way and that everyone's path to it is the same mm -hmm. which is where a box strategy will that's essentially what they think so I don't know if retirement is going to be the same as we saw our grandparents do. 
I agree. I don't think so either. And so then why, again, going back to the mindfulness thing of like, why would you plan to stop producing at a certain age? I think for some, that's a dream. For others, that sounds like death. And so understanding who you are in that equation, some of it's a reality of like you, you, some people, and I think a lot of people will have to continue to work and earn Mm -hmm. to sustain. Other people will be very excited to exit the workforce. And so, you know, there's no one size fits all anymore. The American dream has become so diverse, which, and we've talked about like how it used to be very similar, very, you know, singular. And now it's, it's just, it's diverse. And I think there's a beauty to that, but then there's also a financial reality to that, that you have to wed those two things together to make sure that yeah, it works. It's also a waking up of like, it's so funny to me because America has touted to use that word again. It's so favorite word here. on Favorite word. It's this great American melting pot. Right. And yet it loves to be homogenized, which is just so infuriating. And, but it's, 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 it's like we're just recently this, this past 20 years waking up to the fact that we are actually diverse. We are actually different. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different people who live in this country. Therefore it makes sense that there are a lot of different versions of what retirement may look like. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny cause I, I've met a bunch of people that are like 80. They're not technically retired and they don't want to be. And yeah. then I've met people that are 60 that like cannot wait to stop working. <laughs> and so it's, that's where I think yeah. understanding your context and understanding what things you're after and then being open to the fact that probably what you think you're, you know, 25 year old, years in the future self is going to be doing is probably not quite the same. No, it's tough. But also working towards this idea that like you have to have income coming in for the entirety of your life, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. Whether you're working or have accounts or social security or whatever, whatever it is, just life requires income until you die. It is the necessary demon. It is the it is the the beast we have to deal yeah. with, and it's all about again. It's being mindful, and this I think is really about kind of a little introspectiveness of of looking into yourself and seeing like what will make you truly happy with like a capital H. Yep. Do you feel like you're someone like me as someone who has a more artistic vocation? I can totally see myself never retiring. I can see myself to keep on writing because I enjoy it. I like it. It's not like I'm, you know, churning a cog in a factory. I'm doing something that gives me a sense of fulfillment, which is, I think ultimately what we look for in retirement is, is a sense of fulfillment, especially because toward then we're in the twilight years of our life and we want to feel like we left our mark quote unquote, or like succeeded in something, whether it be with our personal family, with our, occupation or what have you there's that feeling of fulfillment we all search for and so those who don't see themselves ever retirement ever ever retiring i feel like those are people who get a great fulfillment in what they do as a vocation Mm -hmm. and those who can't wait to retire i feel like and and i could be this is just me speculating are those who do not feel any fulfillment in their occupation. They are those who simply, uh, it's just a means to an end, right? Yep. And they can't wait until that means is done and they can have a new means to this, to a similar end. And then maybe they can find fulfillment in a hobby or something yep. else that they love. Well, you're speaking my existential philosophy language right now. So <laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to retirement, we're, we've been talking a lot of cold facts and cold strategies here but it all kind of comes to this, to this emotional boiling point of of what works for you and those who try to take emotion out of finance i think are foolish because it is so inherently tied 
you can't help it. Yeah. But we, you know, in the psychology of money, which was our book last, yeah, last month. It's hard uh, to remember. We've it's been hard at this to remember. For so long. You know, he talks about how, you know, we talk about that. What, what was it? What was it? Rational versus reasonable. Yeah. And retirement's very much the same way. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's, it's about being not just reasonable, but, but enjoyable. Yep. And, and what will lessen your anxiety? Mm-hmm. What will take the burden off you? And so when, you know, even if you're someone like me who has just like a few years ago started really looking at their retirement, I am scared about it, I guess, a little bit, but also like I feel good about what I've started. And that brings me solace. And so for those, I think, who are similar, who haven't even really started, whether you're older than me or younger than me, starting now is the best place, best time to start. Yeah. And you also have to realize that the financial game of retirement might not be what you were told it was supposed to be. Totally. Thanks for listening to What's Up With Money. We'll continue our conversation in the next episode. But until then, please subscribe to rate and review the show. Giving a rating or review helps other people find the show. So if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, please give us a rating, share us on social media, or both. Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's, what's up, up with money? Now, can I, can I say something real quick? Of course. I noticed today that one of our episodes got that fancy little E next to it. It did. It did. And that, this that is, is a family show. That is my fault. Uh, when I was... You sent me the cut of... Episode. I love it. And when I listened to it, I realized I dropped an F-bomb. And I then had to put the E on it because people have to know. I almost I almost texted you because I was like, we may need to record something to tell listeners, like, you know, if you're listening with kids, watch out. Because <laughs> Ryan does a no-no and he drops an F-bomb. Because, you know, we... We're not prudes by any means, but we also know that you listen with family, you listen to the car, you listen to stuff, and you may not be expecting profanity. Yeah, we just, I mean, we just can't have that shit on the show. <laughs> Damn, now I have to put the E again. I have to put the E. I'll edit that. Ah, f- okay. <laughs>